FM. Now that's what I call sport podcast. So we're here at the Aviva Stadium with 500 days to go until Dublin hosts four games at Euro 2020. The FA have launched their volunteer programme to try and get the people to help out with the tournament and we're here with former Ireland international Liam Lawrence. Liam, hello, how are you? I'm alright, thanks. Thanks for having a chat. So just a brief word on why you're here to try and encourage volunteers to help out when we're going to have four games here in the Euros and hopefully two of them for our boys in green. Yeah, well, that, that's the plan. So fingers crossed, you know, we, we make it. But yeah, the, the volunteer program's quite big. It's huge. You know, we need to get volunteers for a wide range of things, you know, from meeting fans at the airport, drivers to, to drive people, you know, people at the stadium, helping people find their seats. And there's a vast majority of different things that we need volunteers for. And, you know, if we can get as many as we can, you know, before it kicks off, it'd be wonderful. How big would it be if Mick McCarthy leads Ireland to the Euros and we have a couple of games here? It would be the dream, wouldn't it? You know, hosting games here and us being a part of that and playing in that, you know, the atmosphere would be incredible. It would be like one big carnival, wouldn't it? It would be unbelievable as well. And, and how much of an advantage would it add to us if, if we did qualify and we did have a couple of games at home as such? Well, it would be like playing at home, wouldn't it? I mean, if... If we qualified and we're playing, you know, teams here, I mean, the, the stadium would be packed to the rafters. It'd be absolutely unbelievable atmosphere. So, fingers crossed. There's a long way to go yet, but if we do make it, it'd be unbelievable. When you played the majority of your of your Ireland games, it would have been around the time when we were in Croke Park. Is that correct? Because we just yeah. left Lansdowne and we moved to Croke Park, where this place was being built as well. At those, you know, in those games, the, the stadiums were like packed. In recent years, it hasn't been. What did it mean to you guys as internationals to go to those stadiums at home and see the place packed and hopefully Mick and Robbie and, and Terry and the players now can pack this out again for this campaign? Yeah, I know. When, when we played Italy at Croke Park, it was packed. I think it was 78, 79,000 or something. It was, the atmosphere was ridiculous. You couldn't hear yourself talk on, on the pitch. You know, and, you know, when this place is full and rocking as well, the Aviva, it's, it's fantastic. So I, I just hope that you know, Mick can get the boys to qualify and we can... We can play some games here in the Euros. I'm sure with Mick being the manager now and, and the group that we've got is a group that we feel we can do well in. And there was definitely a, you know an opinion among fans and media and a lot of people that you know the Martin O'Neill era was you know it just gone stale and lots of fans were staying away. Mick will definitely bring back that feel good factor and people onto the seats in the stadium just behind us there. I hope so. Yeah, Mick's a fantastic person. He's a, a straight down the line. You know, you know what you're going to get with him. He's honest um, and he's a good coach and a good manager. Um, if he can, you know, get the best out of some of the young players in the squad that, that he's going to bring through, uh, you know, I'm quite hopeful. Yeah, I spoke to Keith Andrews a couple of weeks ago at an event, and it was the day the FEI put out the happy birthday tweet for Declan Rice turning 20. Yeah. And I was sure that day that there would be an announcement that Declan Rice had declared for Ireland. I didn't think that the tweet would have gone out otherwise. Now it hasn't happened since. Mm-hmm. What's your overall thoughts on the situation? And, and you know. We're going to speak about your own story in a minute that, you know, your granddad was from Kerry, but you were born in England, your parents are English, yet you play for Ireland. And with Declan now, he's still pondering that decision. Yeah, uh, it's a frustrating one because he's such a huge talent and, you know, I hope he does declare soon. I mean, he's already played, you know, for us. So um, I don't know what the, the hold-up is, what, what he's waiting for. I know he's just signed a new deal, but he's a, he's a his potential is huge. I, I think he's a better version of Eric Dyer, you know, already. And he's still only young, so if we could get him on board and on side, it would be a massive boost to the squad. When did you first become aware 
that you could play for Ireland. Obviously, you knew your granddad was from Kerry, but you, you know, you always lived in England. And when did you first become aware of interest from the Republic of Ireland? And you know, what was in your own head making that decision? Well, you know, I've got family in Athlone and and Kerry, so you know, I've always kept in touch with people and and known I've had that side of of, of Irish blood. So. Once it came about, I was at Sunderland and Mick, Mick McCarthy was my manager, you know, and, and once it came about that Ireland were interested and that Mick had put me forward, there was there was never any hesitation. I, I didn't dream that I'd ever get the chance to play for Ireland. So when it did come about, I took it straight away. Was it something that you had to think much about, talk to family about, no. consider if England might call later on or anything like that? No, no. I was still only, what was I, 20... 23 at the time but you know as soon as Mick said there was interest there that, you know my mind was made up straight away I didn't even think you know what if you know in the future it was it was done and dusted is it you know something you can understand why someone like Declan Rice or you know it, it'll be a situation that definitely happens again where someone feels that they have to take time to consider options with now agents involved and you, you said Declan played three games here I actually interviewed him after the USA game here in the mix zone and I asked him because it was that week that I think the West Ham, one of the West Ham uh, co-chairmen, David Gold, had put out a statement saying he needs to play for England. And I asked him, he said, no, no, I'm Irish, I'm playing for Ireland. And now he's taking this time to think. What, what do you think is in his head? And, and there's lots of people around him who are obviously advising him. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, footballers get a lot of people chatting in their ears. Um, so there'll be a lot of advice given to him, you know, along the way since them games. And, you know... Some of it may be good advice, some of it may, may be bad advice. So at the end of the day, it's, it's up to him, it's his decision. You know, I just hope that we do get him on board. Because it's something now in football, there's so much around it. There's commercial people, there's, you know, lots of players have deals with, you know, clothing companies, boot companies, agents are involved, clubs are involved. It's a scenario that there's lots of kind of voices going into a player's head to try and make him make the decision that he can't please everybody with. No, you know, you know if, if he makes the decision to play for Ireland he's probably going to cheese a lot of people off his end that have advised him to to go and play for England so but at the end of the day the, dis the decision lies with him it's, it's what he wants to do and what he feels is right and I hope he chooses Ireland. Now as you mentioned you worked with Mick McCarthy at Sunderland and you're a former teammate of Robbie Keane as well and we know they met Declan recently and his dad and we understand it was a positive conversation Mick said that you probably couldn't pick two better people to go and meet him no. to try and convince him than Robbie the you know top goal scorer and, and captain for years and Mick who's managed us before, is now our manager again and is such a good people person. Yeah, I met Mick, you know, when I was signing for Sunderland, I met him in a hotel and I, I knew within probably three or four minutes that I wanted to play for him. He's a fantastic person and he was very honest. And, you know, I don't use the word lightly, but legend, that's exactly what you describe Robbie Keane as. He's, he's an Irish legend, as you said, top goal scorer, good guy. And he's a good coach now as well, so see how that goes. Yeah, and of course Mick and Robbie, well Mick's the manager, Robbie's the coach for this campaign, and then Stephen Kenny will take over, and we're not sure what type of, of staff Stephen will have. What do you make of that whole arrangement? I'm interested to get your view, because a couple of people, Kevin Kilban and others, have said when this news broke that they weren't sure if many Irish players based in England would know Stephen Kenny, know much about him, and he would have to win them over as such. Um, I don't think it's a case of winning them over. I mean, if he's the manager, he's the manager at the end of the day. For me, the manager uh, in a football team is the most important person in the, in the team. It's, it's it's a huge thing, and he'll command respect straight away. You know, if he's calling players up to the, to the squad, they'll they'll respect him straight away. I don't think he'll need to worry about that. Yeah, and uh, you know, I know Stephen's spoken to him many times across the years on our League of Ireland podcast, and any Dundalk player you speak to said he's he's brilliant. And once he walks into the dressing room and the players 
understand that he's brilliant, that kind of fear kind of goes straight away. Yeah, it, it, it does. And, you know, I've spoke to people when I've been doing the, the coaching badges over in Dublin and Cork, and they speak very highly of him. So I think it's going to be a good thing. You made your Ireland debut, Liam, in that World Cup qualifier against Italy, I think at Croke Park. That was the campaign where we were trying to make it to the World Cup. Yeah. And there was a, a certain match in Paris where Mr Thierry Henry's hand of Henry ruined lots of our lives, really, at, at yeah. that time. What do you remember? You, you played in both legs. You, you, you started. I think you came off four minutes after William Gallas scored the goal mm. in Paris. What do you remember about the day, the match, the events, the aftermath? I remember it well. I remember, you know... The home game, we lost 1-0, I think it was, but then we went over to Paris and we went 1-0 up, so it was all level. Um, and we played really well. We played really well. I, I remember I put Duffer through in extra time um, and the keeper managed to pull off a, a great save on the edge of the box. And you're sort of thinking, this could be our, our night. You know, we took them all away. And then, obviously, the rest is history with Henri, you know, cheating with the handball and... And them eventually winning, which was heartbreaking because, you know, we felt that we, we deserved to, to go through. Yeah, that's now 10 years ago or around that, would you believe? Where were you on the pitch when it happened and did you instantly know that he, hand, that he had handled it? I was sort of about five or ten yards behind him and he was running to the byline and the ball was bouncing away. And he didn't use his legs to keep the ball in, but the ball stayed in, so I knew something had happened. And obviously, he'd unballed it and, you know, used his hand to keep it in and then crossed it in and Gallas scores. Yeah, now the person who had the best view was Shea Given, and was, he was in with us last year talking about his autobiography, and we spoke about it at length and about his protest, and there's a very, you know, worldwide famous photo of him running after the ref, tapping his hand, and, yeah. like, could you, you clearly couldn't believe what had happened, but... When Shay, when you saw your teammate, your goalkeeper, you know, reacting like that, you instantly knew he's cheated here or he's handballed. It. Yeah, and I knew something wasn't right. And then when obviously Shay's putting his hands up, I, I knew he was calling for a, for a handball. But you know, how, how can the referee and the linesman not see it if twenty odd players have, have just seen it? So look, it happened, and you know, we we went out. So do you? I know the photo of of, of Thierry and Richard Dunn on the pitch at the time, and he's done a lot of media work, and now he's with Monaco or was with Monaco I'm not sure exactly what the situation is there but like do you resent him do you hate him if you saw him would you speak to him would you have a go at him now 10 years on I don't hate him I, you know things happen in football you know there's times where I've handballed it you know trying to keep it in from going from a throw in and stuff like that you don't know what you do in that situation yourself I mean if one of us had done it and kept it in and crossed it for Robbie to score you just don't know what you do in that situation he came and apologised after but Nobody really accepted it at that time and, you know, sort of ignored him. What did he say and, and where was that apology made? He came on, uh, we were, some of us were sat down on the pitch and he's walked over and as we're discussing it, he's just apologised, you know, said sorry and said it was handball, but look, it happened and nobody gave him a, a smack or anything, did they? Would we have won that match and qualified in the 107th minute when that happened, if it didn't happen, we were 1-1, we'd scored, they'd beaten us here 1-0, Robbie Keane had scored there, so yeah. there was 13 minutes left of, of normal time and maybe a famous penalty shootout if, if things had stayed the same. Well, you don't know, we were still looking strong. We, we, that French team at the time were low on confidence and we took them all the way. We, we played really well on the night and you, know, you never know what could have happened in that 13 minutes, as you say, and you know, if we'd have took them to penalties, who knows? You just never know. I know it's all 
ifs and buts, but you never know. What was Mr. Giovanni Chapatoni like? Because, you know, I love interviewing football managers and football players, and I didn't enjoy doing his media conferences because his English wasn't great. And mm-hmm. back in the days before we did video, right, you had to edit the audio, and maybe the news guy wanted a 20-second clip of Trapattoni talking about a match, and he'd ramble on for a minute in broken English to try and make his points. And I understand he made some sort of a speech afterwards in the dressing room, maybe a bit of Italian and a bit of English about Henri the Chief or the Rat or something, was it something like that? Yeah, he had a few odd and harsh words to say about him. Um, he, he was just gutted for us, you know, because he'd seen how close we'd gone, you know, and, and we'd played some some good football against some good teams at times. And, you know, to get that close, he was, you could see him, he was dejected and devastated and there was, he couldn't have a go at us. We'd given absolutely everything. So, but he, I like Trapattoni. I've got, got a lot of respect for him. Yeah, and, and at the time, of course, he led us to the, the Euros a couple of years later as well and, and did an amazing job before he finished up. Is that the one thing you look back on in your own career, club and country, and go, that's the one massive, massive moment that's a big regret for me and all of my teammates? It probably has to be. Of course, of course. You know, the, the, the chance to, to qualify there and go to a World Cup would have just been, you know, every player dreams of it. But it wasn't to be, and we had to move on. And speaking of moving on, Liam, very finally, we're moving on to this Euro 2020 qualification campaign starting off later on this year in March. In fact, we're away to Gibraltar first in a tiny stadium. There's only going to be 800 Irish fans there and then home to Georgia on the 26th of March here. Hopefully there's 52,000 screaming fans. We've got Georgia, Gibraltar, Denmark and Switzerland in the group. Mm-hmm. And we've got hope to, to qualify. What's your, your thoughts on, on kind of the nostalgia of Mick coming back and Robbie coming back kind of parked and us doing the job on the pitch in those eight matches to make it? It's going to be an interesting one. Uh, the, for me, the, the group... You know, he's winnable. You know, at them games, I know Switzerland are a good side with some dangerous players, so are Denmark, but, you know, the, the first two games, if we, if we win both of them, you know, it puts us in a, a great position and you never know what can happen as we go along. And as well, if we, you know, those two games, Georgia, Gibraltar, are massively winnable games yeah. and you've got six points on the, on the board and you know probably that Denmark will beat those two teams and Switzerland probably will as well, so they really are important Every game is important to win, but particularly given that they are the two weaker teams in the group to start with. They are the, the weaker teams. You know, it's international football, so there's no gimmies. There's no easy games, if you like, but they are winnable big time. And you know, I would probably say Denmark and Switzerland will go and get results against them as well. So we have to go and get results against them. How are you now as an Ireland fan? I know you're doing a lot of media work as well, but you're still a fan and a former player watching the big games, whether you be at them or, or whether you be on TV, because... Everyone really, really wants the team to win and, and you're no different and, and hopefully over the next kind of eight months, and that's how short mixed tenure could be if we don't qualify, it could be just eight months. Like No, I know, but it's, it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it and with Robbie going in there as well, I think it's, it's going to be something fresh. I think he'll freshen things up and I think he'll, Mick and Robbie will definitely get the best out of some of the young talent that, that's coming through. Liam Lawrence, thanks a million. Thank you. 98 FMs. Now that's what I call sport. Get the full show every Sunday morning from 9. Only on 98 FM.